Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Isn't that an amazing video? It's such a cool way of learning about the story of Esther to keep us engaged with what the biblical story is and what the history is of the story of Esther. I love it. I am so excited for this series. We are going to hear some incredible voices over the next few weeks. And I am so honored to be one of the voices that gets to speak into this series on Esther. My name is Christy Otts. My husband is Chris Otts. He is the executive pastor here at Antioch Austin. He preached an amazing message last Sunday. So if you didn't hear it, I highly encourage you to go online and watch it. It is so so good. You want to listen to it. It will bless you. I am a wife. I am also a mother. I have four kids. My oldest is 14 and my youngest is six. We have a loud, crazy, wild house. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's a mess. It's amazing. I am so honored to be here. I'm so glad to be kicking off this series on Esther. I'm excited about the story of Esther because one thing I am so passionate about is about people walking out in the calling that God has on their life. For them to receive a revelation of who God is and to know that God has a plan and a purpose for their life, a plan to prosper them and not to harm them, to give them a hope and a future. And in the story of Esther, she receives the revelation of who she is. She lets God write the story of her life and it has unbelievable impact in the world. I'm so excited for this story. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about who Esther was. In my mind, I think I've always imagined her as like this heroine of the Old Testament, the Joan of Arc of the Bible. But the reality is, is that she was just an ordinary girl. She was a Jew, she was living in exile, she was under the Persian Empire, and she was a person without a home. She was an orphan. Mordecai was actually her cousin because her mother and father had passed away and he was raising her. A lot of scholars believe that she was very young. She was a teenager when she became queen. All of these things point Esther as being an ordinary person, an ordinary girl who got to be a part of an extraordinary story that was bigger than her. I love that God does that all throughout history. Esther is not a one-off story of God doing amazing things in ordinary everyday people. A banished former Egyptian prince rescues the Jews out of slavery, Moses. A disregarded shepherd boy becomes a great king, David. A ragtag group of fishermen share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the disciples. Esther was an unassuming orphan girl. There was nothing extraordinary about her except that the hand of God was upon her. There was favor on her life. What does make her extraordinary is her yes. The yes in her heart that she gave to say, I will surrender my life to be a part of the God story that he is writing in and through me. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the most talented or the most gifted. You don't have to be the most beautiful to be used by God. 
All you need is a trusting yes in who he is and who you are in him. We saw in the video that we just watched that Mordecai put this huge ask in front of Esther. You see, the people, of, the Jewish people were about to be murdered and slaughtered, men, women, and children, all of their possessions taken. And Mordecai came to Esther and he said, it's your job, you gotta go before the king and plea for the lives of our people. It was a big, huge ask. It's important to know that in that story that we just watched, when Mordecai brought that ask to Esther, the little thought bubble over her head said, if I perish, I perish. It's so bold and courageous. It's an amazing response that Esther makes. But as we dig into the scripture, there's actually a little bit of a wrestling gap in between her hearing the plea of Mordecai and her giving a resounding, if I perish, I perish. She wrestles with her yes. Because Mordecai was asking her a big thing. This was no little task that he had put before her. She could go before the king without being summoned, and if he didn't extend a golden scepter to her, she would die. This was a huge ask. This was a big yes on Esther's part. She would have to risk everything. This was her response to Mordecai when he puts his plea before her. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends his golden scepter and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. I read this and it's sort of like Esther is saying, Mordecai, I'm not entirely sure that you know what you're asking. This is a really big thing that you're asking me to do. You know, Mordecai didn't live inside the palace walls. He was kept out at a distance. When Esther wanted to talk to Mordecai, it was through a messenger. He stood outside the walls and he waited for her. And maybe she's saying, you know, everybody in these walls, all of the officials, man, they know if I do this, surely I will die. Mordecai, do you really know what you're asking? See, the reality is that we have asks in front of each of us. There are places where we have to stand and say yes. We have to say yes to stand up in the face of injustice. We have to say yes to the God plan that he is writing in our lives. We have to say yes. And it's a great big yes. And it's not always easy. There is no certainty of the outcome. No detailed step-by-step -step instructions ensuring a positive result. God, I wish there was. It's not always easy, but she was grieving over the injustice being done to her people and her heart wanted to see those people saved. She only needed to look back 12 months, 18 months. This is a rags to riches story. This is like an episode of The Bachelor Gone Wild, right? It's she got picked out of every single woman in the entire kingdom. Maybe there was a reason. Maybe there's a reason this orphan Jewish girl was now finding herself queen of Persia in a place of influence when her entire people group is about to be annihilated. Maybe there's a purpose behind it. She had to wrestle with her yes. Am I gonna say yes to this huge thing that Mordecai is asking me to do? 
And am I gonna say yes to believe that I am who God says I am? Am I gonna be an orphan or am I gonna be a queen? When Mordecai gets her initial wavering response, this was his message to Esther, this is it. This is the famous Esther passage. If you've heard anything from this book, it's probably this. He says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family, Mordecai included, will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's the moment. Mordecai pulled no punches. He brought the truth bomb to Esther in that moment. He laid it all out before her. The reality is that her answer would not thwart the plans of God. His will would go forth. Mordecai says it, if she does not arise in this moment, help will arise from somewhere else. But she has a choice. She has a choice about whether or not she's going to be a player in the plan that God is writing in that generation. She had to choose. She had a yes to wrestle through. She had to count the costs. She had to believe that she was who God said she was. Esther came to the other side of her wrestle with a great big yes in her heart. And this is her response. She says, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Courage, boldness. I love it so much, her response. But if I'm 100% honest, the next step that she feels like she's called to do, I have always been a little bit miffed by. Because her response to this impending genocide, to her people being annihilated the 13th day of the 12th month, this edict would go forth and every man, woman, and child who claimed to be a Jew would be dead. All their possessions taken. And her response is to pause to stop, to wait, to be quiet, to fast, to pray, to lean in. I am not a pause person. I am an action-oriented person. I am a react person. I am a act first, think later type of person. I am all passion and all go, especially when it comes to the issues of injustice. If someone needs an advocate, I'm the first person to wanna knock down doors and make something happen. Ask my family. Some of them are in this room, they're probably nodding. It has not always served me well. Because there is power in the pause. There is power in the pause. It may not come natural, but it will bring about the supernatural. It may not come 
naturally to us. It may not be our initial instinct when our feelings and our emotions and everything is in chaos around us. Our initial reaction and response may not always be to pause, to stop, to wait, to listen. But it is 100% necessary. Because in Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. We want God's plan. We want God's will to prevail. We want heaven on earth. We want his kingdom to come. It is all about him. We can have lots of thoughts and ideas. My husband is the master of the whiteboard. Give that man a whiteboard and he will give you a detailed, executed plan and process. Man, it is impressive. But it is man's idea and we need God's plan and purpose. We need it to prevail. It matters that our response to these big asks, these things that feel so huge and overwhelming, in the face of poverty, in the face of sickness, in the face of racial injustice, in the face of slavery and human trafficking, in the things that are happening in our world, it is absolutely priority that we stop and seek the one who holds all things together. He is the beginning, he is the end. He has before all things and in all things and through all things, he is the one that we stop and we seek. He is the one who shows us a better way forward. We need a kingdom plan. We need a heavenly blueprint. It's not passive or reactionary. It's actually very active because we're seeking and we're searching and we're listening and we're leaning in and we're getting closer to the heart of God. It's about hearing the heart of God louder than the shout of the voices in our world. I'm so thankful for social media. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to hear voices that have gone voiceless for far too long. I'm so thankful for the opportunity. But at the end of the day, the voice that I need to hear is the truth, and the truth comes from Jesus alone. I need to hear the voice of God. I need to silence the other voices because it's putting aside my natural inclination to react and instead respond from his presence. There's power in the pause. Esther paused. She fasted and she prayed and she called others to join her. And this is my little aside about this. When we seek the presence of God, when we're asking for him to speak into the things that are going on around us, where we're asking for divine wisdom and supernatural input, we're not called to do it alone. We do it with others. You see, Esther, she asked Mordecai, gather all the Jews in Susa and let's fast and pray together. There's power in unity. There's power when we do it together. When those three days were over, she fasted and she prayed. I wanna believe that at the end of that, she felt really confident in what her next step was. But the reality was too, she didn't know what was gonna happen. It was still unseen. But she said yes, and here was the plan. After her third day, she would put on her royal robes. I love the imagery of this. 
It's like she's putting aside the discarded orphan. And instead, she's putting on the royalty. She knows who she is, and she goes before the king. And he extends the golden scepter to her. She will live another day. And the king says to her, what is your petition? What is your request? Whatever it is, I will give it to you, even if to half of my kingdom. And this was her request. I want to throw you a banquet. You and Haman, come to my banquet. I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit like a strange plan. I'm not entirely sure when you know all of your people are about to be murdered and slaughtered, that the first thing that would come to my mind would be party planning. But if you read earlier in the book of Esther, it says that in King Xerxes' reign, he'd been reigning for three years, and he threw a party. It lasted 180 days. I mean, I would last maybe two. I'd have to go to bed. We're talking food and wine and music. I mean, this is a partying king. He loves a good party. I love this plan because it's like she's speaking his love language. It's like some sort of supernatural, divine, backdoor God plan. You know what? You want to get him on your side? Speak his love language. He loves to party. Invite him to a banquet. You know what she did the next day? He said, what's your petition? She says, I just want to invite you to another party. He came to another party with Haman. But this time, she did have a request. And I love this part of the story, too. I love that the first thing she says to him is that my people are being sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. My people. This was her big confession moment. She was standing before the king and she was confessing that she was a Jew. And she was saying, Haman has put this edict in place that will kill all of my people. Hey, King Xerxes, he wants to kill me too. She makes a personal connection between her life and the king. It wasn't just about a bunch of nameless, faceless Jews outside of the palace walls that he may never lay his eyes on. All of a sudden, this is Haman talking about killing his beloved queen. The king is furious. He murders Haman and all of his family and raises Mordecai up into a place of position where he can now enact things that would save every single Jewish person in that kingdom. That is an incredible plan. That is a God plan. That is something birthed out of a place of prayer and fasting and listening to the heart of God. It is 100% supernatural. They did it in unity. Jesus was the master of the pause. There are so many times throughout scripture that he would pull away, that he would be quiet, that he would pray, that he would seek the Father. He started his own ministry with 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. He was the master of the pause. You see, in John 5, 19, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son 
also does. If God was doing it, Jesus was doing it. If God wanted to say it, Jesus said it. He only did what the Father was doing. The most amazing example of this is in John 8. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. I love this story. You see, Jesus is, is teaching in the temple, and all of a sudden a crowd comes out, and they're angry and livid and violent, and they throw a woman at his feet. And they say this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law demands her life. They pick up stones in their hand and they are ready to murder this woman in the middle of the street. Can you feel the atmosphere? It's rage. It's hatred. It's so much. And in the midst of it, you see a woman who's feeling shame and condemnation and a Jesus who can feel nothing but love and mercy and grace. And this is what Jesus says. He kneels down and he writes with his finger in the dirt. He pauses. I've always pictured this scene almost like a movie in my head and I can almost see Jesus like kind of stooping down and tilting his head a little bit. Almost like he's listening for the Father. When he stands up, he says these words. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It's one sentence. And then he sits down again. One sentence that completely dissipated the hatred and the anger and the violence and the chaos of the moment. In that moment, one word was like a double-edged sword of truth into the hearts of every person who sat in that crowd in a riot. One phrase, they dropped their rocks and they walked away. And Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Man, that is the power of the pause. That's what it looks like to stop and respond. Not hide, not react, but respond from God's presence to lean in and to hear God's heart and then to speak the truth that dissipates hatred and violence in the moment and stands up for those who are on the receiving end of injustice. That's the gospel, that we know who we are that from that place of knowing who we are and knowing who God has made it to be, we say yes to the plan of God in our lives and we reach down and lift up those who need lifting up because we paused, because we got God's heart. The power of the pause. Our response is a choice. Just like Esther had before her at hearing about the injustice being done in her country. She could easily have hid. She could have left Mordecai grieving at the palace gates in sackcloth and ashes as he mourned what was going to happen. He could have not sent a messenger. She could have held herself back in her palace quarters and just put the covers over her head and hoped that death would pass her by. She could have hid. We can hide. 
We can hide in the face of injustice. We can turn off the news and the TV. We can callous our hearts to what is happening. We can choose to protect ourselves and we can hide from the realities of where God so desperately wants to intervene. We can also react. This is my default, right? She could have reacted from her passion. She could have seen Mordecai grieving and she could have, in her place of zealousness and passion, just stormed right into there, into the king's court, made a huge scene. Maybe the outcome would have been so different. But instead, she chose to respond. To pause and respond. Respond from the presence of God from setting aside time to pray and to fast and to seek his will. I love what Romans 8.31 says. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm filled with so much hope because if we can lean into the heart of God enough to know his heart for injustice, how to engage with the things that are happening in our world that are so broken, if we can actually hear his heart if we can be a part of the story that he's wanting to write through humanity, through the church in this hour, who can stand against us? So how do we do this? How do we pause? How do we get the heart of God in the face of injustice? The first thing we do is that we have to wrestle our way to a yes. We have to do what Esther did. We have to ask questions, even if they make us uncomfortable. We have to know that it will cost us something. We have to wrestle through who we are. Do we really believe that we're children of God? Do we really believe that we have been chosen, that we are loved by the creator of the universe? Do we believe that we are no longer orphans? but royalty. We have to wrestle our way to the yes. The yes in our heart that says, God, I surrender everything and I want nothing more than to be a part of the story that you're writing. The second thing is that we have to choose to pause. Remember I said before that it is a discipline. It takes practice. It takes work. This means learning. This means that we grow, we repent, we lament, we ask for forgiveness. We get the heart of God. And the last thing we do is we respond from a place of encounter. When we respond from an encounter with God, it looks a lot like God. We respond with hope, with joy, with mercy, with grace, with kindness, with compassion. We are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. When we encounter him in that place, our response should look like that because we've been in a presence of a God who is all those things. We respond from that place of encounter. I've been asking myself recently, how much do I look like Jesus? Man, our world needs a lot more Christians that look like Jesus. And I want to look more like him. And so I'm asking myself, 
Does my heart beat, is it in line with his heartbeat? If it's not, then maybe I need to lean in a little closer. I'm asking myself, are my words like the words of Jesus? If not, then maybe I need to lean in a little closer. Are my actions like the actions of Jesus? If not, then maybe I need to lean in a little closer. I think that's the invitation from Jesus today, to pause, to seek him, to lean in a little closer. There is power in the pause. We need a kingdom plan. We need a heavenly blueprint because the ideas in a man's heart will not get us there. We need the plans and purposes of the Lord to prevail in this hour. Lean in a little closer. Pray. We have Jesus hour every day during the week that you can tune in, worship and pray. Encounter the heart of God every single day. Get out your Bible and read through the book of Esther with us in these coming weeks. Lean into God's heart. Be still. Quiet some of the voices that ring so loud in our heads and allow God to speak something fresh to our hearts. Because I don't wanna hide. I don't wanna hide and I don't wanna react. I wanna respond. I wanna respond to what God's doing. I wanna hear him and I wanna be in line with what he's doing. I wanna be a player in the plan and the story that he's writing in this hour. Because God's writing something so beautiful, church. And he's using you and me to be a part of it. And what a privilege to be a part of it. I'm so honored that he would use an ordinary person like me, like Esther, to do something extraordinary. I wanna stand up and say yes to the big ask. And I think maybe you do too. So wherever you are, I just wanna pray for us. Maybe you just even need to stand up, literally stand up on your feet and say, God, I'm saying yes. I wanna be a part of what you're doing. I want to play a role. I don't wanna hide. I don't wanna react out of my pain and my brokenness and just my feelings. I want to pause and I want to respond because we want the Lord's purposes to prevail. We want a kingdom plan, a heavenly blueprint. So Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to get to be a player in the plan that you are writing in this generation. Thank you that you use ordinary people. Thank you that you used Esther to save an entire race of people from genocide. Thank you that you used Moses to rescue your people. Thank you that you used your disciples to spread the gospel. God, we say yes. We say yes, and if we're still wrestling with our yes, then God bless the wrestle until we get to the other side and we say, you know what, even if it costs me something, I say yes to what God wants to do in and through me. I say yes to who I am in him. 
thank you for this opportunity. God, we repent for ways where we have hid, where we have reacted, where it has brought nothing but pain and damage in its wake. God, we repent. And we ask that you would come and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we might lean in to your presence, that we might know your heart more nearly. We love you, Jesus. We love you and we are so expectant for what you're doing in these days. And we bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.